Good morning. Series in the book of Philippians. In the series, I'm very excited about. I'm excited about all of our series. But this one particularly, I think it segues well into last week's Members Potluck. Last week, we talked about some of the values that we want to uphold as a church. And one of those values is prayer. Prayer. And prayer hasn't been something I've dealt with from the pulpit in an extensive manner. I did touch upon it whenever I was in Ruth, but largely that had to do with providence, God's orchestrating events in answer to prayer. So we haven't dealt with prayer in depth since I've been here. And the next five weeks, I believe, I think it'll be five weeks, maybe longer, we're going to deal with prayer. And I want you to go ahead and open up to Philippians 1 so I can show you where we're going to be going in these next few weeks. Go ahead and open up to Philippians 1. And this study of prayer is going to have two parts. The first part, which we'll take up this week and two weeks after that, we're going to be studying prayer as thanksgiving. As you can see, this is part one. There will be three parts. And if you're in Philippians already, look at Philippians 1, 3. Paul begins here by saying, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine. Paul's giving thanks. And this notion of thanksgiving extends all the way to the end of verse 7. Actually, all the way to verse 8. So as we proceed through Philippians 1, 3 through 8, we're going to be talking about the notion of thanksgiving, prayer as thanksgiving. And then, in verses 9 through 11, we're going to transition to explore prayer as supplication. There's different ways that we can pray, and we will analyze two different ways as we proceed through this passage. So that's where we're headed. I'm very excited. Prayer is essential for us as Christians. Prayerlessness is a sin. Prayer is such an important aspect of the Christian life that to not do it is to sin. And Christians are marked by, those, by the pattern of prayer. Non-Christians do not pray to God. They might pray, they might not. But one characteristic that the church is marked off by is the idea of prayer, praying to God. Very important. And I want you to see the heading... These headings in the Bible can be, can be very helpful. Look above verse 1-3 in Philippians, if you have an ESV Bible. It says, Thanksgiving and prayer. Your Bible, if you have a different translation, might say something different. And let me just pause here to say that I will always go through the ESV. That's going to be my chosen text. And as we go through Philippians, and as I continue my pastoral ministry here, I think it would be helpful for you to use an ESV. And the reason why is I want you to see what I'm seeing. I want us to all be seeing the words and the language that I'm seeing. Now, you can use other translations. You might want to bring more than one version. You have that on your phone. But I'd encourage you to have an ESV Bible and to bring that to church. I want that to be the text that we go through. So we're all on the same page. There are other good translations. This is just the one that I've chosen to use. So this morning I have three parts for you three points, but prior to getting there, I want, go, to, go to Philippians 3.17, I want to show you something that's going to kind of serve as an assumption as I go through Paul's prayer here, Philippians 
I'm going to be using Paul's example as the way that we should pray. We're going to read Paul, we're going to study how Paul prays, and the application is that we should pray in this manner. Now, there's an objection that might come up, and the objection is that, well, pastor, we're only supposed to follow Christ. We're not supposed to follow any man. Look what Philippians 3.17 says. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling the Philippians and us that we should follow his example. So yes, we are to follow Christ, but there are those who follow Christ well. And to see how we should follow Christ, it's okay and good to look to people who are following Christ well. Specifically the Apostle Paul. He provides a wonderful example of how our lives should look in our walk with Jesus Christ. There are many other passages like this, like the Philippians 3.17 passage. This is one of them. But we are to follow Paul as he follows Christ. And also in our lives, we should say to others, hey, look to my life as an example of Christ. We are not Christ, but Christ is supposed to make such an impact in our life that people see him through us. So that's the idea, using Paul as an example. Let's go ahead and read the passage that we'll be dealing with this morning. Philippians 1, 3 through 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, all making my prayer with joy. This is our passage, and I have three parts for you. And these parts are going to be in the form of questions. The first question, the first point, who do we thank? In our prayers of thanksgiving, who do we thank? This really is an important question, an essential question. This touches upon the question that we reviewed in a previous sermon about who is God. There are some perennial questions, some pressing questions that we all must answer. And who do we thank is one of those questions. Who do we thank? And for our culture, this, this question takes on a unique meaning, and this is the reason why. I believe our culture, our broader culture, our national conscience, believes that Thanksgiving is something good. We even have a day for it, Thanksgiving. And I think that that's a good thing. God has blessed our culture with certain holidays, and those holidays lead us to reflect. Specifically on Thanksgiving, you are to give thanks. So I don't, I don't think that we have a, 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 a culture that looks down on thankfulness. I think it looks well upon it. Now, whenever people give thanks, though, in our multicultural nation, they might thank themselves, secularists and atheists and agnostics. Well, they don't thank God, so who do they thank? Well, they might thank the heavens or my stars or even themselves. They view themselves as placing themselves in a specific situation, and due to their hard work, their ingenuity, their good works, they've risen to a level of success, and therefore their thanks, because it's all due to them, should turn around to them. They thank themselves. And Scripture doesn't, doesn't teach this. We aren't to thank ourselves. Another idea is karma. 
right? What goes around comes around. You thank this impersonal force that's guiding the universe. Or maybe even the man upstairs, right? We thank the man upstairs. This idea was, was made famous by Mark McGuire. Do you remember that in the 90s? Even as a young child, I remember this. Mark McGuire was hitting tons of home runs, and they'd interview him, and he'd say, the man upstairs. He was doing steroids during this time, but he still paused to thank the man upstairs. I don't, I don't know how those two things are consistent. So who should we thank? Should we thank ourselves? Should we thank karma? Should we thank the man upstairs, some general deity who's up there? Should we thank a general god, a god that maybe a number of different people worship? Who do we thank? This is very important. It's not just important to thank, to give thanksgiving. It's also important to thank the correct being. And scripture presents us with the correct being. Look at the beginning of verse 3. I thank my God. Two words here. Let's break them down. First, my, this possessive. Biblical Christianity centers on the idea of a personal God. Not just a vague, general God who sits in the heaven and strokes his beard, but a God who interacts with mankind, specifically through the person of Christ. And Jesus came and has redeemed us and has made us alive. And the religion that we share and fellowship in and proclaim is a religion in which it, God makes a difference in our lives to the extent that we can claim God as our own, my God, my personal God, my friend, the one who has saved me. We don't just speak in general terms. Not just some general God. Not just some, the man upstairs. But my God, this God who actually makes an impact in my life and who loves me and who cares for me and has sent his son to die for my sins. It's a personal God. God cares for us as individuals, for me and for you. So my, we thank God for a, we thank God, our personal God, not some general God who's far and away, but who is present in the person of his spirit. And then next you have this term, God. God, this is, this is the being, so it's a personal being. Well, pastor, what type of being is this? Who is this God? Many people use the name God, but we might mean different things, and so it's important that we as Christians specify who is God. Just because you use the term God doesn't mean that you're following the correct one. God is a very general term. And this is what Scripture, as a summary, teaches, okay? This is the God who we believe in. It's a personal God, but more than that, it's this God. This is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, a wonderful confession. This is what it says. This is what we mean by God. There is but one only, excuse me, there is but only one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most, most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will 
for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. In the unity of the Godhead there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. That's what we mean. It's not some general God. We have a specific God in which we believe in. It is a personal and powerful God. The God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. And this brings up the point that theology matters. It matters what we think about God. This is not peripheral to what we do here as a church. Theology is central. It's not everything, but it's very important. You cannot honor God without sound doctrine. And this is the God who we uphold, we believe in, and we thank. Who do we thank? Who do we give thanks to? We give thanks to this God, my God. Second question, second point. Based upon this passage, so who do we give thanks to? And then what do we give thanks for? What do we give God thanks for? What do we say to God whenever we say we're thankful? You can approach this generally in a very general manner. In in a general way, we are to give God thanks for everything. Everything that we experience. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, the Bible says. Listen to what Ephesians 5.20 says. Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything good that we experience is from God. Whether that goes to eating a good meal, to getting a paycheck, to having a child, to being in a godly romantic relationship with your spouse, to breathing in air, to having the internet, to being able to drive a car. All of these things are from God, from from the big to the small. All of them are from God. We deserve nothing. Any good gift that we have is from God. Central to biblical Christianity is the idea that we deserve nothing but God's judgment for our sins. But due to his love and grace, he gives us so much. We are to be thankful for everything. But specifically, what does Paul give thanks for in this passage? Look again at 1.3. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you. You see that for you? That's what Paul's giving thanks for. He's giving thanks for you. Now the Greek word here for you is plural. It's a plural you. It's a y'all. See, Paul was a southerner. Did you know that? It's a y'all. It's a plural you. But there can be specific, a specific set of plural you. It might be one little group, maybe ten of them. If there's a hundred of them, maybe God's giving, excuse me, maybe Paul is giving thanks for ten of them, not just all of them. But I want you to see in in verse 4, 
It doesn't just say for you. It says for you all. Paul is giving thanks, not just for a specific y'all, but everybody. Everybody in this church Paul's giving thanks for. Paul is thankful for every single Christian in Philippi. Now that is significant, and here's why. The church in Philippi was not without its problems. Go to chapter 4, verse 2. As with any church, this church in Philippi had problems. Yet Paul is still thankful for those who are causing these problems. Philippians 4, 2. This is, that, this is one of the problems that Paul mentions. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul has a high view of these women. But nonetheless, there's an issue going on between them. In churches, you can have problems between two godly people. And what Paul does is he doesn't say, well, I'm thankful for everyone except these two women. His thanks includes them, even those who are causing problems. Now, we don't know who exactly is causing this problem, whether it's Judea or Syntyche. I imagine that they're probably, doing th they're probably both doing things that they ought not to do. They're probably both contributing to this division. But nonetheless, Paul is first, he loves them. And that as a sign of that love, it overflows into his thanks for them. Paul's giving thanks for them. And based upon Paul's example, Judea and Syntyche should also give thanks for the other person. So Judea should give thanks for Syntyche, and Syntyche should be giving thanks for Judea. Following Paul's example in Philippians 1.4, if Paul's thankful for everyone, and Paul is our example, an example, excuse me, then these two persons should be thankful for one another. And what this highlights is this idea. It highlights that oftentimes when we pray, oftentimes in our church relationships, Oftentimes, whenever we express to God thankfulness for people, our thankfulness is partial. It's based upon who we like. Oftentimes, in churches, there's cliques. This group doesn't like that group, and we have that here. We have that here. And Paul is implicitly rebuking this idea. Paul's dealing with this idea in his thanksgiving, he's not partial. He's not just saying, God, I thank you for this certain group of people. He's thankful for all believers in Philippi. And what he's doing is he's showing us that our attitude towards one another, first and foremost, should be one of love. Even with those who we disagree with, even those to those who cause disruption in the church, we ought to be thankful for. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to be buddy-buddy with everybody. This doesn't mean that you have to be best friends with everybody. I wouldn't say that. I don't think Paul's saying that. But what it does mean as Christians that we are called to love one another, central to what we do as Christians, is we are to love the church, to love one another here. And as a sign of that love, one way that love demonstrates itself in our lives is that we thank God for everybody 
even those who we struggle with, even those who might be call it causing division. And this is an issue at CBC. It's an issue in all churches, I would imagine. But it is an issue here. That's one thing I've learned, is that we need to love one another. And as, as an expression of that love, we give God thanks that we love people so much that those people show up in our prayers and that we pray for them and that we thank God for them. Are you thankful? CBC member, Christian here, are you thankful for everybody here? Do you have a love for them that overflows into your prayer life and that you thank God for them? That's what Paul's telling us to do. We are to love everybody here. And as a sign of that love, we ought to give thanks. So who do we thank God for? Generally, we thank God for everything. And specifically, we give God thanks for people. People here at CBC. Everybody here. Last point. This deals with a manner of thanks. How do we thank God? Who do we thank? That's the first question. Second question of is who do we give God thanks for? And third, how do we thank God? In what manner do we do it? Well, going back to Philippians 1, we should do it, we should give God thanks constantly with a joyful spirit. We should give God thanks constantly. We should constantly give him thanks with a joyful spirit. First, let's deal with this notion of constantly. Right at the beginning of verse 4, you have an adverb, always, always. Adverbs modify verbs. What is the verb here? What verb is always modifying? It's modifying the verb at the beginning of verse 3. Thanks. Paul says, I thank my God, dot, 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 always. He's always thanking God. This fits into the broader idea of praying without ceasing. We are called to pray without ceasing. We are to called to be in a constant mindset of devotion to God. And as a reflection of that, we are to consistently and constantly give God thanks. And who do we consistently and constantly give God thanks for? One another. Each other our brothers and sisters in Christ. And more generally, we are to give God consistent and constant thanks for everything, every blessing. Thankfulness is essential to the life of a Christian. As you read the New Testament, you will learn that thankfulness is what separates Christians from non-Christians. Prayer separates them, joy separates them, and thankfulness this notion of consistently and constantly giving God thanks fits into the broader idea of thankfulness as an essential part of Christianity. Thankfulness is what we do as Christians, and the reason why we give thanks is because it's built on this idea, the idea that we are saved by grace alone. We gather not to proclaim our excellencies, but to proclaim what it is that God has done in our lives. Salvation the process by which God saves us from our sins is by grace alone. That alone is just as important as the grace. By grace alone. We do not believe that we are right before God because of the good things that we have done. 
We believe that based upon the things that we have done, we deserve judgment. But because of God's infinite love, because of his infinite kindness, he chooses to not treat us as our sins deserve. He has provided his son for us. And that everything we experience is a gift. Everything. From the largest to the smallest. And thankfulness is of such importance to Christianity, it might be called the original sin, the most important sin, the essential sin that someone can commit. It ranks up there with idolatry. To be thankless is to be an idolater, the Bible teaches. Go to Romans 121. I want you to see here how, how important thankfulness is for us as Christians. Romans 121. Let's start in verse 20. For his, God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they, this is the Gentiles, this is us prior to Christ, so they are without excuse. Why? Why are they without excuse? For although they knew God, they perceived him, they knew him as he revealed himself in Scripture, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him to, to not be thankful is to, to be a non-Christian thanklessness is a serious sin it's of, serious, it's of the serious nature that it is correlated in this passage with idolatry it is akin to worshipping stone or rock or some false god to not give God thanks is a serious sin and the reason why it's serious is because it's a rejection of the notion of grace. Grace, the idea that everything is a gift, is absolutely central to what we do as Christians. Christians should be marked by a spirit of thankfulness, utter thankfulness. And thankfulness is opposed to bitterness, bitterness selfishness, pride, and backbiting. People who are thankful, Christians who are thankful, don't view themselves as victims we don't tend towards self-pity. We tend towards making much of others and being thankful for every gift that we have. Thankfulness is essential. It's essential that we consistently, constantly, daily, hourly, by the minute, thank God for what he has done for us and the gifts that he gives. Let's go back to Philippians. How do we thank God? We thank him constantly. And lastly, look at the end of verse 4. There's this odd phrase at the end of verse 4 in the ESV. Making my prayer with joy. Making my prayer with joy. How does Paul make his prayer? He makes it with joy. Joy. We are to be consistently and constantly giving God thanks, and we are to do it in a joyful manner. Now joy, joy means this. This is joy. Joy is more than an emotion. It is an overarching mindset that allows Paul and us to look beyond our personal situations to the sovereign Lord 
who stands above all events and ultimately has control over them. This notion of joy should mark Christians. This is a fruit of the Spirit. We are joyful people. We smile at life because of God's grace. And I want you to see that Paul is not saying this. Paul is not praying with joy while he's drinking pina coladas and sunbathing on the beach. Paul is not in a good situation here. Look at 1.13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. But is Paul self-pitying? Is Paul saying, woe is me? No. Paul has joy. Paul is giving thanks with a spirit of joy. Now this joy, as Seneca said, is hard. It is hard to consistently and constantly have joy. What are we to do? How, 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 how do I go about, Pastor, developing? If I'm not joyful, if I'm struggling, first, how do I give thanks consistently and constantly? And then how do I do it with joy? If you're struggling with this, this is what I would ask you to do. This is what I'd like you to do. Pray about it. Ask God to give you a thankful heart that is associated with joy. It is hard to give thanks in this life. And it's hard to do it with joy. Joy is hard, but you have to fight for it. It's not going to just come to you passively. You have to pursue it. And one way we, we pursue it is by means of prayer. We ask God, God, I am not thankful right now. I am pitying myself. I see myself as a victim. I'm having a hard time giving thanks. God, I ask that you would please, please give me a thankful heart. And I pray that joy, this deep-seated conviction and gladness, and your sovereign reign over my circumstances would penetrate my life and would affect my prayers. And specifically with the people who you struggle with here, ask and pray that God would give you a thankful heart associated with joy that you'd be able to give thanks to God for the people here at CBC. We have to fight for these things. And our means and tools of fighting are spiritual. And they're through prayer. I think the only fitting way to close a sermon like this is to conclude with a prayer of thanks. So please bow with me. Our Father in heaven, we gratefully acknowledge that every perfect gift and every good thing we have received is from you, the Father of heavenly lights. We confess that we do not deserve any good thing from you at all. So we can only stand in humble gratitude that you have given us so precious a gift as Jesus Christ. In the exercise of your sovereign will and in accord with your eternal good pleasure, you brought us forth out of spiritual death through your word. Human language does not contain words sufficiently enough to express what you have done for us. Nevertheless, Father, we sorrowfully acknowledge our stu stubborn sinfulness and the desperate wickedness that remains in our hearts and continually causes us to sin 
against that inexhaustible grace to which we, we owe everything. We confess that far too often we are not joyfully thankful. We confess that too often we complain and pity ourselves. We also confess that too often we do not love one another. Infinite sovereign king, we ask that based upon what Christ has done for us on the cross, that you work in us the Spirit's ministry. Produce in us a joyful thankfulness that we express towards you for others. Lead us to love you and love one another. We offer you this thanksgiving and these requests. Accomplish in us, Father, the gracious work of redemption that Christ has won for us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.